All right, welcome everyone to the, I believe it's the 15th episode of the United Bowhunters of Missouri podcast. This is Ethan Grother, and as always, are now returned from the mountains with a bigger beard than I've ever seen him with, co-host Mr. Ryan Plummer. How's it going, hey guys. Oh man, it's going well. I, I don't think this is the biggest of the beard's ever been, though. I just think it's maybe it's how I'm setting. Might be the but mountain air has made it luscious. <laughs> That's right, the mountain air did that. You know, I got to make sure I look professional, though. I'm getting ready to have to travel a lot for work, so I may have to trim it down a little bit. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Maybe they'll respect it more out west. At the <laughs> going going to those breweries, I might have to put a beard net on. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe if you just used a little bit of that artisan style uh, beard uh, uh, oil and stuff, you'd probably fit in really well at those breweries. <laughs> I might. I might. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, back to uh, our guest tonight is the one and only. He's a member of uh, UBM, and he's a he's a really awesome guy that we're all pretty proud to know. But the one and only Mr. John White. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, how's it going tonight, John? We're doing well. Just uh, kicked back here and uh, ready to just uh, chill and reflect on some of what we've just experienced and. Uh, it's good times, all of it. Awesome, awesome. Well, Ryan, won't you lead us into uh, what we're going to talk about tonight? Yeah, you know, I thought it might be a good time. I, I know we've talked about getting John on before um, the podcast, and I know he's got lots of stories. But um, John and I, and 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 uh, William actually as well, and some others just got back from Colorado. Um, it was my fourth season going out there with John Elk Hunting. John, it's your, what, 18th season? Yeah, this is 18th in a row. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of cheating for me. It's like going with a guide without paying for the guide. So <laughs> uh, it's been pretty good. But I don't know. You know, this year, John, it was just a little – hunting was tough this year. I, a lot of people have asked me since I got back how the trip was, and I've, my response has been the same. The trip was great. Um, you know, I love the trip. I love being out there and stuff, but the hunting was tough this year. Uh, I know we, we kind of talked a little bit about that, what we thought it might be, but uh, I don't know. You want to, you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on this year's hunt and what you think maybe some of the impact was? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the hunt is basically centered around layers. You know, typically of a western hunt, you're going to start with your base layer and and you're going to have, you know, uh, upper body layers like a after you got a a base layer top, then uh, you know, you'll have a light jacket and um, you know, so typically on any given year, you go in light and then once you get seated somewhere you're adding layers in order to stay warm and then as the sun comes up and it starts warming up outside you're taking layers back off and then if you walk out in the middle of the day you're really stripping down this year was a little different it was uh kind of like you could have just took your speedo and left everything else back <laughs> at the truck <laughs> it uh it was hot and dry yeah 
I, yeah. I had high expectations for it being, I've never seen it this hot and this dry before. Mm. And I really felt that was going to be a feather in our cap and really put us on animals. And uh, it didn't turn out to be an asset whatsoever. Really? Yeah, it was like uh, they didn't need water. It was. And yet, you know, you can say it's dry, but the plant life that's out in the sun that's not in the black timber was all burned up and laying on the ground. Really? Uh, The worst condition I've ever seen. But, uh, you know, when it comes right down to it, the the water is everywhere. There's springs all over the mountains, you know, so the animals always know where the water is, and there's an abundance of it. Mm -hmm. So it it really didn't, didn't, didn't work in our favor. You know, and I think like last year, we seen a lot of elk last year. Um, same location, same same hunt, effectively, but it was a really wet year. You know, last year was probably one of the wettest years we've seen, but we were in elk pretty consistently, and so I thought too, like you, that this year, uh, with it being drier, it would benefit us to the fact that you know we have all these water. Um, uh, locations and I thought it would really help drive the elk in there and I agree though it just it that wasn't the case and I don't know I know one of the spots that I was hunting you know there's free range cattle out there and previous years you'll see them up on that top meadow which was completely burnt up this year you'll see them maybe down the, to the first shelf on the mountain and that's it this year I had cattle coming in on me multiple days in a row down the side of the mountain i don't know if that pushed some of the elk out or what but it was this year was different than any year that i've been out there um it's not to say we didn't see elk we did um i think there was five of us total um we've we all seen elk just not any real uh real good shot opportunities except for i know john you you had an opportunity you chose to pass up on you on a right talk about that yeah it was kind of a neat thing i there's this one particular gorge or ravine or a creek that flows down the side of the mountain uh it's spring fed and i've had my eye on that place for about the last uh oh probably five or six years and each year if if i get around to it i'll go uh, i've had some good encounters uh there's a little pulpwood road that side hills around the top of a of an 11,000 foot peak there and um, a couple times in the past uh, one time I I went by it there was heavy tracks going across the pulpwood road going down into that gorge and that gorge is full of a lot of down timber a lot of deadfalls and pretty thick down in there not a place you just look at it's not inviting yeah used to before the trees grew you could see a little green meadow way down in the bottom of that gorge and it it looked to be a couple hundred yards off Hmm. and um uh i pulled my first hunt there five or six years ago and i i went past that creek in that spring just walking normal 
and looking for a spot when I busted an animal found it just right off the edge there and I didn't get to see it but it sounded big and it was busting timbers that went down through there and I could tell from the way it reacted that it wanted to come up and cross that road Mm. and so I went on around there the the road kind of curved and continued to side hill so I just kind of made a little noise and walked along that road and uh, I don't know if I sang to myself out loud or what, but when I got so far, I turned around and I snuck back on the far side of the road from the gorge so that nothing could see me from below. And I got up high and sat down on the high side of that road and just sat there for the evening. Well, that animal made its way back up the gorge. I got to see the full rack. It was a good bull. And all I got was was the rack. He stayed just low enough on that hill. Once he got to the top of the gorge, he followed the road and Man. disappeared out of sight. It was just a rack floating in midair going through there. Man. So ever Man. since that day, I've envisioned something happening there. And so I'll go back and I'll try that spot again. Well, the next year or or the year after that, I got a chance to try it again. And uh, I just decided that I was just going to go down in that gorge and sit on the side wall of it and just see what I could see. Well, I'm sitting there and that witching hour came and I got to noticing to my right down in that little green spot that you could see from the road that there was bodies in it moving around feeding. And so now I'm zeroing in on that on that little meadow way down there at the bottom. Yeah. And uh, realizing it was full of elk, and they're a couple hundred yards away. Mm. And uh, so uh, the next time I got a chance to go back in there was a year after that. And I went past that creek and worked my way down to that meadow, which you got to climb over dozens of big deadfalls. And... uh, got on the side of that gorge and it and i went down in there it was just full of tracks and dropping so again you know i'm building this story's building i'm i'm gonna kill something here but yeah that's what i'm feeling and so it's a spot that i'm kind of establishing over a long period of time and uh so i sat there and didn't see anything and then the next year i sent my cousin matt from a utah and uh told him about the spot i wanted him to try it he went and sat there and he didn't see anything Mm. and uh so this year ryan and i get up there i'm going to try it again and uh i did what i did the year before last i i snuck all the way down to that meadow got on the sidewall and i started cow calling and uh i was using a a mouth call, a read, and uh, I wasn't overdoing it. You know, it's public ground. They don't respond extremely well on public ground uh, yeah. to calls, but here they come. You know, it wasn't no time, and I had a whole herd coming in there. I'm thinking there was possibly 12 animals. I saw the first seven, and I couldn't see the laggers. They were still in the brush behind those. And the one that gave me a shot opportunity was a half-grown cow. She wasn't mm. that 
giant barrel belly cow with the big tan body. She was kind of dark in color and she was like a half pint, you know. And what is trailing right at her hawk is a little chocolate calf that's oh. really small. And she stopped in my 25 yard. She stopped at my 25 yard location broadside and she stood there looking back and forth for five minutes. Mm. And the whole herd just come in there and froze. And all the big cows that were with her were all behind. They all picked a brushy spot to stop in. Except for her. She's naked, broad, open. And I just said <laughs> to myself, I, I, don't, I don't need meat bad enough. I don't want this shot. Oh, man. I think you did the right thing. But I, yeah. I still feel like that spot is going to, it's going to, you know, bring a good, a good animal. I, I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, I don't hunt that spot hard. I, I try to hit it at least once while I'm out there and it's, it's got good possibilities. Yeah. You know, that spot, a couple things for me at that spot, because uh, I've been out there. I went out there, of course, with John this year, I sat in a little different location and I don't know. We don't, we hunt elk, maybe different than a lot of guys hunt out. We, we don't hike and call and, and walk. We um, set up really on travel corridors, kind of like yeah. we're on white tail, you know. But um, so there was a spot out there um, where I found a lot of good signs, some beds, some, a lot of tracks, a lot of droppings and stuff. And I think actually the day that, that I think it was the same day, John, that you had that encounter, um, I think I just missed elk. I think I came in behind him. I've never seen him again that day. But that spot's an interesting spot for me. That's the only place out there where I've ever been like a little bit sketched out because uh, I guess about two years ago, um, we were hunting in that same area. I was hunting just down a different ravine, um, a different uh, drainage, I guess, um, up from where John was talking about and. Um, John and uh, who was with us? John was it? Wasn't Matt? Maybe it was Craig. I don't remember, but it was you and or maybe no, it was Jared. I haven't been out there since the first year. Um, you and Jared had gone on down the Pulpwood Road, and I would, had dip, dipped down in that little uh, wash area. And so it's you know didn't see anything that hunt. It's getting dark, and I'm still sitting there. And then I hear a mountain lion. Like, you know, they have that stream or whatever. And it wasn't all that far away. And so um, I went ahead and sat there and it gets dark. And I come up out of there and I'm on the road waiting for the guys to walk by as we walk back to the truck. Well, then I hear some big rustling just over the edge of the road down there. And so I'm thinking it, it just was a very eerie feeling. So <laughs> on the other side of the road, there was like a, an embankment there. So I backed up to it. So nothing could come behind me. That was the only time I've been out or anywhere for that matter where it was just didn't feel quite right. But, you know, that's the same place this year. Um, I've seen five elk this year, all the same, same day, same time. It was a group of five cows. And we were actually walking in in the morning up that road um, to hunt, hunt that location again. And uh, I don't know, we were probably halfway up, a little more than halfway up. And um, I was in the front. It was, everything was dry and crunchy, but we were kind of on the road and we hop up over this 
crest of this hill and I look up and I see three elk initially. And so I'm motioning John to stop. And of course I'm up there with my, with my longbow and uh, limited a little bit on, on distance. And they were probably all about 40 yards away. Mm. So a little, a little further than I was comfortable shooting. I never really entered my mind. Actually what I was thinking about is how can I get John up here to, to maybe take a shot? Cause he was carrying a compound and, um, Anyway, that didn't work. I, they stayed there for, I don't know, a few minutes. And the kind of lead cow went off down the, the hill. And I thought maybe I could sneak across the road and dip down the hill too and maybe get a shot. And what I didn't realize, there was two other ones still up on the other side. And as soon as I started across the road, man, they, uh, they mm. seen me. They didn't really tear out of there like they were really spooked, but um, they, uh, they left. And um, that was that was the limit of my my elk this season. I did have though this year. Um, first two years I went out there, I never saw a bear. Um, seen some signs and stuff. Last year I saw a bear quite a ways away, maybe sixty yards or something, kind of side hilling. This year though. Um, <laughs> I had some really close encounters with bear. I said another location I was setting, I was kind of brushed in in a makeshift little ground blind there under a, a big ponderosa pine. And it's, it's getting to be afternoon. It's like 11, 1130 and it's getting hot. And so I'm sitting there probably half dozing, reading my book on my phone. And, um, it's silent. Like I don't hear anything. And all of a sudden I hear a little twig snap. So I look over to my side. I've got this great big cinnamon uh, bear walking right by me at eight yards. Oh my goodness. Behind me, never knew he was there until he snapped that twig right next to me. He could have walked up right behind me and sniffed the scruff of my neck if he wanted to. I'd have never known it. Um, yep. So that was cool. That was, a, that was my first really close bear encounter out there. Um, and then the next we day... Think uh, yeah. We think that's we think that's the same bear that that notified me of where my bull was last I, year. Yeah, it probably was. They do tend to stay in one area. It was yeah. it was a big cinnamon. Yeah, yeah, he was big. You know, and he didn't he didn't know I was there either. I don't think. And then he kept walking by. I was really hoping I had a bear tag. I don't. It's a draw unit out there. I didn't enter the draw for a bear. I'll probably going to next year, but as soon as he got past me and got downwind and beat me, he huffed at me and he took off, took off out of there. But, um, but yeah, I do think it was probably the same bear. And you know, there's some other guys out there, hunters that had some trail cameras. They said they've seen him several times on trail cams too. But I didn't get a video of him. He was moving through pretty good. Um, the next day, I was different. We were hunting a different location and. Uh, I was hunting, I was setting up above a, a waller and um, I had a mama bear and her two cubs come out. They came out quite a ways from me, 60 yards or something, and they circled around. This is the funny thing about that, about that particular set. They had, they circled around me. I was setting just over the um, edge of a little uh, ridge and they came around on the other side of the ridge from where I was at. Um, and they went off, they went on about their business. I don't know that they ever knew I was there. And, uh, but 
I knew they were there and I didn't know if they would be coming back or not. So I was paying attention to what was coming up over the back of the ridge because I didn't want a mama bear to pop over the ridge and me be right there in her face. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> a couple hours later, I heard something coming up that ridge. And so I slowly had my bow. I slowly turned around and stood up and it was a, a big mule deer doe had walked up behind me. And she see me, she looked right at me and, and jumped a couple of steps back, um, but never ran, never, never, never stomped or anything. And so I slowly turned back around and sat down and I could hear her just kind of milling around in the background there for several minutes. And so I turned back around and poked my head up and she just looked at me again. And then um, I kind of forgot about her for a little bit and then... <laughs> Several minutes later, I looked over and she had worked her way up and around and came up on top of the ridge. And she was just standing on top of the ridge, looking down at me, chewing on her cut or whatever. And then eventually just turned around and walked off. She oh was never goodness. really bothered by my my presence. Um, so that was a pretty cool, pretty full cool encounter. But uh, yeah, the elk were, were limited this year. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just hoping you didn't use up all of that. That's so. location. What was that? What'd you say, Ethan? Oh, I was just going to joke and say, I hope he didn't use up all that bear mojo out there in Colorado versus our trip we got coming up. So Yeah, yeah that's right. The three of us, the three of us plus one are, are uh, going out to Canada. Gosh, I mean, that's still, what, several months away, but it's going to be here before we know it. Yeah, Spring it's bear hunt. It's exciting. It's yeah, it's about yeah. what six months. Yep, six or six, six months out. No, it's probably nine months still. Yeah, is it? Yeah, feels like forever. And it. No, it's uh, it's just barely over seven months. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. In into May, I think I did my math right. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's the end of May. End yep. of May. Yep. Last right, week. So we yeah. got almost eight months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that uh, that location where the the sow and the cubs went through, that hill was was kind of no bigger than something you might find in somebody's yard. It was just a steep little ridge, almost like the mountain had sloughed at one time and kind of pooched up a little patch of dirt that was kind of steep. And yeah. we perched Ryan right on the side of it. You know, he was looking over a waller that had been hit we don't know to what degree it didn't look like he pushed mud out of it but he certainly turned the water into chocolate milk you know yeah yeah and so it had recent activity in it so ryan was gonna see if he could capitalize on that activity yeah for sure but um but that that mule deer was hanging out 10 yards from him you know and it come up from behind him you know, you could just imagine how you'd feel if that sow and cubs popped over that little rise right behind you while you're laying on the ground, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I was, I was going to say, you guys are, uh, it's very interesting. There's been, I feel like the push is all this uh, do it yourself, go deep, backpack, um, take charge, you know, public land hunting and stuff. And I, I was taught elk hunting by a guy who was, very into fitness and uh i was fortunate to have a lot of encounters with elk when i was like late teens early 20s and uh, i managed to kill a, ca a cow elk a long time ago 
But uh, he, this guy that I always hunted with was just go, go, go. We just, we get after him, we hike, we bust some elk, but we keep moving, you know, and all this stuff. And uh, I feel like now that's like what everybody's doing. And now the smarter move really is to just kind of take it easy because everyone else is going crazy. And if you just sit tight and follow what you're doing, they're doing, you're better off. Cause uh, I went two years ago with a buddy and uh, I had a bear tag and I went with him and there were, there was twice that we just sat down to take a breather somewhere and had elk walk right up on us. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought, yeah. I, I thought, I think there's something to this. I think I've been, not that I was taught wrong, but maybe there's a different way to approach this than to just go bust and, after it you know yeah here you are you know we're flatlanders we're we're just barely above sea level here in arkansas and and you take that journey out there and you know you're riding in the truck for 16 hours you've just finished mowing your six acre lawn and doing all your honeydews and all the things that you felt you had to get done before you took a two-week trip out west yeah you're by the time you get to your cabin and get everything thrown on your bunk and you're ready to head to the woods, you're in a state of, of exhaustion already. And the hunt hasn't even started. And so, um, you know, I kind of put myself in a position, uh, first three or four years I did, you know, what your friend did. I just, you know, go, 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 go. So I walked lots of country. Um, I remember this one spot on the way to where Ryan and I was describing that place uh, where I encountered the calf with the, with the cow, half grown cow. Um, We looked at that ridge and it looked so close to the road and it looked so doable. When I look at what we did now, I I just can't even believe what we did. We just parked on the side of the road, went down through a big gorge, crossed a Creek and plumb that mountain, plumb to the top. And, um, you know, there was nothing. It was a westward facing uh, hill. I was ignorant enough to try it. Um, I can point to my grandkids and that I clumb to the top of that. It's something to see. And it was pointless. There was no sign on the side of that mountain. There was nothing there. When I got to the top, you shrug your shoulders and you look at the truck, which is just an ant way off in the distance and you take off and go back to the truck i found all that beneficial to some degree but more for learning the land kind of like turkey hunting you know half of turkey hunting is kind of knowing where they want to go and knowing what the land looks like and and how to position yourself for a kill yep and so um i did all that you know, you spend all year long and in your mind, you're dreaming about the spot that you love. And I've got a couple of those that I just, I can't wait to just sit down there in that spot again and experience and relive some of the old memories and make some new memories. And, uh, but you always find that at some point those spots need given a break. And, uh, You've laid down enough scent there. You've put enough pressure in that area. And it's time. So you've got to have, if you're going to hunt, stand hunt is what I call it. If you're going to stand hunt, you really got to have a lot of places. Yes. You can't, you can't just spend it all at one spot. Yeah. 
Well, and I think that elk are, I mean, to my limited experience, but I've had some, it's not the same as a whitetail. This, uh, this six by six bull doesn't follow the same path every night around 6.08 PM and come drink. No, they, that's right. they are random in nature and they might, uh, you might see that bull two weeks later after he made all that mess at the wallow. And if you scare him, he might move to two ravines over and never come back. You know, it's just crazy. That's exactly what, what it's like. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never hunted elk the way you were just describing and the way John did in the beginning, because again, I came along many years after John's already kind of done a lot of that. And um, I've ran into hunters out there that never see elk that are hiking miles and miles and miles. And, you know, yep. this is my fourth season and I've been on elk every single year, um, having a hard time, you know, actually getting one on the ground. But uh, that'll come eventually. And um, but year one, seen a lot of elk. Year two, seen elk. Um, you know, the first year I I shot a cow. I hit her high on the shoulder. Never found her. Um, but I had a lot of elk in, come in on me on that day. I think I've shared that story on the podcast where I just had the floodgates of elk, elk opened up. I had a big herd come in. I was literally surrounded by elk. And I think that's why I'm hooked on it now. I will never yep. not tell as long as I can because of that experience. And I was flustered. Like I ended up shooting that cow at 30 yards, a lot more than further than I probably should have shot. And I just, I was flustered and I, I just made a bad shot. Year two, I um, um, almost had an opportunity at a nice bull. Um, I was setting again in a, in a spot and, he came out and was walking by. He was going to walk into my shooting lane at about 15 yards in the wind swirl. Yeah. Um, he caught my, caught my sins and left. And, and I've seen a lot of elk that year, not just him. And then last year, year three, I, um, again, we were on a lot of elk. And I shot, I take, took a shot at a bull last year and had the, the fluky kind of thing where he spun his head back right at the last minute and deflected my arrow. So the opportunities are there, the elk are there, the way that we're hunting them. And, and um, we're still doing a lot of hiking, um, but not as much as some guys. And we're, we're seeing yeah. a lot of elk. Well, and that's yeah. what I was getting ready to say is uh, Colorado is known for the fact that it's just become so overrun by hunters. It's That's been mm -hmm. kind of a thing for over 10 years now. And the average guy, they say, I think goes on three trips before he ever encounters an elk anymore. So the fact that you guys, I think there's something to the way you guys are hunting is that you're beating the crowd's mindset. And the fact that you're encountering elk every year, you've just statistically, you, you've blown the odds already. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Now we did have Jared and William, they did a lot of hiking and that's where they had their encounters for the most part. Oh, okay. Jared had, Jared got come to full draw on a bull that, or a cow, I'm sorry. Uh, this season that uh, you know they were on their feet but they, they him and uh, my little brother was hunting together on that hunt and I don't know if they were walking to the stand or walking back from it but they jumped some elk and and uh, Jared almost got a shot but him and William uh, did some long hikes uh, and uh, took on a trail that led them back to a lake way back, you know, uh, it seemed like that one day they were gone all day long when they ran. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we're going to do some. Cool they, they, 
they both encountered on that on that hike, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I know William had a cow walk by him at uh, I think it was twenty five yards. I think he said she was moving, and I know uh, Jared seen some elk. I don't remember what he seen, but um, interestingly enough, not <laughs> one of us seen any bulls this year. Not a single one. Was all well, just just the night the, the night oh, before right. season opened. Yeah. While we were glassing from a high peak, uh, we found about a dozen elk all together moving here and there uh, at like a mile and a quarter, and uh, or a mile and a half. It was hard to see them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was some bulls in that group, but. Um... There was a pair, and they were kind of sparring, weren't they? Yeah. Now, last yeah. year, somewhere in that vicinity, from that very same lookout, we had a pair that was kicking up dust and really yeah. getting – it was rancor. You know, yeah. it was wow. – they were in it to win it. This year, it was yeah. more of just a little petty uh, messing around, but the uh, – the the bulls that's the only two bulls we saw for the whole the whole trip yeah now do you think john i know we talked a little bit about it like there was a super moon like when we first got out there yeah Uh, you think that had an impact i i think that it had a big impact i think they were bedded all day instead of being on their feet i think they were feeding all night long Mm -hmm. and uh I think that's probably the single biggest impact because the water is always the same. Those springs, no matter how dry it gets, obviously are still flowing. Yeah. And if you know where those springs are, water is not an issue, but there's enough of those springs. They do not have to come to your spring. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they're, you don't have them corralled or pinned They're They got a mind of their own, but that, that moon was, that was something. It was biblical. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I was going to say before we, uh, we talk about maybe some other stories, but uh, I, for the podcast, why don't we talk about your bull from last year, Don? Yeah, well, that, that bull last year uh, was 15 yards and I didn't know that he was there. I was sitting over a, over a, a waller. Yep. And uh, I heard heard a little something, and it wasn't much. But I kind of glanced over my shoulder, and at the foot of a rock slide, there was two cows and a bull. The two cows worked their way on towards uh, uh, where Ryan sits, and and I don't think Ryan ever even seen those cows, so they kind of went between us. And that bull just turned and decided to walk right down past me. I don't even think he was heading to the waller. They just parted company up there about 40 or 50 yards. And for an animal to be that big, animals to be that large, and to just get within 50 yards of you without you even knowing it, that is, it, it's one of the reasons we hunt elk. It's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. They can just tiptoe in and you not even know they're there. But he was going to come by me and uh, he stopped behind a tree. And uh, I got, I was standing there uh, 
for all practical purposes with nothing between me and him because he didn't come in front of me. I had a blind constructed out of some fallen logs and brush. And if he'd have come in front of me, he wouldn't have been able to see me at all. But I'm pretty naked there, you know, waiting for the shot. He paused behind that tree and then he just started stepping on and he was 15 steps from me. And I placed the, the arrow about midway up, uh, right behind the shoulder. It felt good. Um, he kind of trotted a little bit and then he just went into a walk and I could watch for about 60 yards as he milled down through the woods there. He just kind of made a beeline downhill. It was a gradual incline. And uh, until he just kind of faded out into the brush out there. Well, I waited four hours. Uh, come and got Ryan and uh, went over the shot with him. And uh, I got about half penetration. Oh. Uh, so I hit a, a rib or shoulder on the offside. I'm thinking it was probably a rib. Um, so... Uh, we pick up the the what should have been a blood trail and there was just one drop of blood and and I watched him take my arrow with him so I wasn't looking for an arrow and uh, we spent the remainder of that day looking for him then I spent the next day looking for him mm. and uh, and it's 80 degrees during the middle of the day you know it's yeah. hot and so uh you can imagine how I'm feeling. And uh, we gave it a break a day. Then we came back. I sat back down in front of my waller. And now there's something interesting I left out. After he disappeared, it was a good two hours went by. And I heard what I thought. There's a waller that I can't see that's a little lower than me. Yeah. And what I can watch. And I thought I had a bull come in down there, get in that waller. And I, if you could imagine a horse getting in a mud puddle and just uh, pawing with one hoof. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Swish, 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 swish. And then it would be quiet. Then I'd hear swish, 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 swish. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've got a, a bull that's come into the waller down there and he's messing around in there. And I've just you know, put an arrow in one. So I'm not going to get out of my chair. You know, I just yeah. sat there listening and then it got quiet. And uh, there was one, one clank of the antler in with that swishing. And, uh, so, uh, nothing after that. And then of course, you know, the next day we come back and look and, and we've given up the search. We gave it a break a day. We come back the next day. And that's when that big sentiment of Ryan's uh, that came in so close to him this season come up. He come up about 15 yards from me, right where that bull was walking downhill, mm. doing the same thing. And he made one little tick, tiny twig snap. And I, and I turned to look, and here he's coming. And he stopped, and he spent 10 minutes standing in that position where we mm. were just kind of sizing each other up. He didn't move. He just stood there and he was kind of looking like, great. I had big plans and now I got this guy. <laughs> like, that's what it looked like he was thinking. What am I going to do? And uh, 
and of course I have no idea that morning uh, that the bear came in I had heard something down the mountainside and I couldn't identify it mm. it was kind of a uh, a ball um, it, I actually thought it was one of those free ranging cows but I don't usually see them down that low and I thought what was that I didn't give it another thought. Well, finally, that big cinnamon went ahead and worked his way down the hill. And he got out of my sight. And then he let off one of those balls. But now this bear, the cinnamon is closer to me. And I knew it was him making the sound. Uh -huh. And then I knew that the sound I'd heard that morning was a bear. So I'm sitting there in my chair and I'm going, okay, he disappeared where my bull disappeared three days ago. And I heard a bear ball down the mountainside that morning, and I didn't know what it was. Now I know what it was. I heard a bear ball down there that morning. Yeah. Now he's given a big ball, so they're fighting over my bull. And which is really weird because if you get up to the edge of that mountain, it just dives off. And you can see down there for nearly 100 yards. There's fell timber and stuff. You know, there's dead wood on the ground. Uh, it's brushy, but it's clear too. It's kind of odd. Yeah. And we've already worked all that, you know, it's like, I don't understand how they could be so close bawling and fighting and we've looked at everything. Yeah. So we get down there, I go and get Ryan and I said, Ryan, the, this big cinnamon just came by, uh, bears were fighting this morning. Uh, now I've got him down there bawling. So there's at least three bears and they're making goo goo over something. It's got to be my bull. Yeah. So Ryan and I go down there and Ryan gets up on a big log and he gets hit in the face with the smell of, of rotting yeah. flesh. You know? Yeah. And th this is a disgusting story, but you know, anybody that hunts anytime at all is going to experience it. Um, the, uh, the only way I could think of a death being worse than a slow death with uh, from a hunter is if a wolf gets a hold of a, an animal and eats it alive. Yeah. Uh, nature's cruel. Yeah. But uh, but my bull suffered suffered a lot, and that's one thing that I think about routinely. It doesn't feel good as a hunter to have mm. my animal suffer. Yeah. <laughs> But it turned out that Ryan gets this smell coming from the West and we take off. We go to the West and we get the smell a couple more times, but there is nothing. And we're way far from where those bears were fighting. Yeah. So we come back to the log. This time the smell is hitting us coming from the East. So the, the Rocky Mountains there, it grabs that scent and it swirls it around and it yep. lies to you. It tells you the scent's coming from here. It's no, no scent's coming from over there. So we go through that, and uh, we wound up back down the side of that steep mountainside. You can hardly work your way back up. It's so bad. There's nothing down there, and we're really just shaking our heads. And when we come back up from that going down again, when we got back up, man, that smell had settled. The wind had ceased, and that smell had settled and wafted right to us like we had never smelled anything in our lives. Yeah. The uh, 
the maggots were piled up around the base of that bowl, six inches deep. Bear scat all over. Yeah, they had taken off part of the nose. They had uh, eaten the hind quarter and and gotten all of the entrails out. Um, it was bad. So so anyhow, we go straight to the bull. And the clank of horn that I heard that morning while I'm just sitting there intently listening uh, was him wedging his horns right into a set of scrub brush and trees and lodging it there. Ah. I'm mean, so stuck. It took Ryan and I, we took a chainsaw a mile and a half in there to get to him. And uh, we had to trim non uh concerning garbage out in order to even free that horn with a we used a 10 foot dead piece of log that we trimmed to 10 feet long tied a rope to it tied a rope to the horns to that log put the log behind a tree and both of us would bounce against it to oh, get that them horns unlodged wow so while we was trying not to throw up because the smell and the maggots are so bad yeah We've got, yeah, we've you got would those... go into projectile vomiting uh, almost <laughs> got, immediately. We've got those um, earplugs stuck up our noses. <laughs> oh, man. But he, that... he hung his horns, and then he lay there kicking his hind legs. So his hind legs, where he uh, repeatedly off and on there for probably 20 minutes, uh, he swept out all of the the foliage off the ground and swept an area clean so looking at him and looking at the ground i said there's my swish 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 yeah he had laid down in a depression right behind that waller i was within 10 yards of him multiple times yeah and this depression was so hard to find that you nearly had to be standing on the bull to see the depression yep it's it's totally humiliating. Uh, the ground there is just so hard to read and very deceptive. It's very thick back behind that very last waller down at the bottom, and and then to have that little pocket that he went into and laid down in that. Yeah, it was unimaginable that he yeah. could be so close to me, and yet he might as well have been ten miles away. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. you know, we were, we were thrown off the trail a little bit, too, on the first day because going down the side of the mountain, which is where you've seen him going towards, we jumped something also. Yes, and, and we right. thought we were seeing that we jumped, and so we backed out again. And oh, I got you. At that, at that point, he was probably 15 or 20 yards away, laying dead, yep. waiting. But um, so that was a big learning lesson, I think, for me. But, you know, the interesting thing you mentioned earlier, there was no blood, no blood. No and in fact, the four years that I've been out there, the elk that I've been involved with that we found uh, dead, there's been no blood on any of them. And then the elk that have been hit that just go on about their business, there's been a lot of blood. Yep, <laughs> yep. Been weird like that, but um, yeah. <laughs> you had that you had that cow a couple of years ago, John, that um, – Luckily for us, circled around and climbed up to the top of the mountain and died right next to some private land that we had to drive back on. There was no blood from her at all. We just, John just had a hunch that she took this one trail and went up there and walked up on her. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have found uh, most animals the last few years. I try to just watch where things are when I can. And I try to think to myself, a lot of animals are trying to retreat back from where they came from. And so I always do. And I found a lot, but uh, I'm not going to make this about me, but I was just going to say, I literally just experienced what you did, John, uh, three days ago, because I killed my nicest buck with a longbow. And uh, when it was all said and done, I had, I had, thanks. And I had just, I thought I couldn't tell what happened. The deer came unglued when I shot. It was a four and a half yard shot. And when I thought, I just didn't know what to think. We blood chilled. We couldn't find blood. So I started grid searching. Uh, it was just, and, and it was 80 degrees on Tuesday. Or no, no, it was close to 90. And I had to go to work early in the morning, and I was just sick at my stomach about it. I got off work as soon as I could. We came as soon as it was daylight, and you could see I had walked by that deer probably two or three times. And he wasn't 150 yards from the stand. He had died full run. He'd been dead before I ever climbed out of the tree that night. And so, right. and the smell, the, all of it, you know, because the taxidermist to me, for one, was like, maybe I can save the cape. But no, you could just grab the hair and it was coming out by the wads. The, and that obviously the meat was wasted by the smell. And it just, like you're saying, I understand. It just makes you, you just feel sick. It's, it's you want the closure of knowing what happened to the animal. But yes. when, but then there's that, it'd almost be better if you found it way later and it was way off in a weird spot. But when you find them where they were in plain sight or should have been, you should have seen them. Yeah. It just makes a sick feeling, you know? Yeah, it does. I, uh, yeah. I called fishing game right away, yeah. uh, left the bowl right where we found him. We, we didn't touch him. I didn't get my tag out. I just, First off, I wanted to know what Colorado was going to say when yeah. I told him my scenario. So uh, what he said was, the officer that, that I got a hold of, um, just fortunately, we had just a little bit of signal up there, still on top of the mountain. And it was like there was one little spot, if you stood just in this one little spot, and that's where I stood to make my call. Yeah. And I got a hold of him. He had to call me back. So now I have to stand in that spot and wait for him to call me back, which he did. It was, all went relatively quick and painless. But um, he said I could either put my tag on that bull and take that head home with me, or I could leave that bull alone and hunt another bull or hunt another another elk. And uh, I said, no, no, no. I said, I you know, that's my elk. I'm going to go ahead and put my tag on. I said, now I've got to get that. I'm going to boil that head out back at the camp. I said, I got to get that, that head home and I don't have any meat. So I'm going to keep your number in my phone. And will you help me get home with this? Now in 18 seasons, I've never been stopped. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always, I always have my proof of sex ready. I always have everything, all my ducks in a row, but I'd never been in this situation before. So I'm like, you know, if I get stopped and they want to see my meat, my proof of sex, I got nothing. Yeah. And he said, I'll help you get home with it. Don't worry about this, John. He said, uh, put your tag on it and uh, congratulations. And, and I look all year long, all of us, I'm sure we're feeling it the sadness of not having those steaks and that hamburger. Yeah. And that meat. Yeah. 
it was a loss. Feeling it already this year, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still enjoying last year's whitetail. I got in the freezer this morning. I pulled out uh, a package of breakfast sausage. And, uh, you know, I went in the kitchen to make my two eggs and my two sausage patties that I, ah. I have each morning. And I was counting packages and I still have, I still have quite a bit of venison left over from last year. And, uh, I'm very fond of that, that venison. And, uh, if I don't kill anything for another six or eight weeks, I'm, I'm good for another six or eight weeks. Maybe. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the irony, the irony of what you're saying is my wife just texted me. She's making biscuits and gravy with some deer venison sausage. And she's saying, ready. so I'll be there before too long enjoying the same thing. So, yeah, yeah. We got to get another deer down soon. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, Arkansas, man, you guys, you guys have a pretty expansive season, don't you? Yeah. It's, um, uh, from September 23rd until February 28th. Wow. Yeah. And I think I think it's a six deer limit if you hunt multiple areas of the state. Okay. Um, but if you stay in your area, I think you can kill a total of four. Okay. And That's I usually I usually kill a couple, you know. Okay. That's the uh, nice thing about buying I always I last couple of years I buy an Arkansas tag out of state tag and I try to go down and hunt with John a little bit but with one with your out of state tag in Arkansas or an in state tag if you're living in Arkansas you get six deer a bear and I think two turkeys two all turkeys, with the same yeah. tag yeah that's, that's a good right. deal because it's yeah I mean, it's not horribly expensive as far as out of state tags go it's a heck of a lot better than what Missouri yeah. You guys talk a minute. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> so, I, Ethan, I know you had told me a little bit about your, your deer. You just told that story a little bit, but uh, I was curious. You said it was a four and a half yard shot. Yeah, I guess. Were yeah, because it's not a podcast worthy whole story, but I'll just. Not so I'll podcast. Well, I, I was curious though. Were you, uh, are you in a tree stand? Were you on the ground? Yeah, this, this time I was. So, uh, I'll try to make it short, but Monday, uh, Monday night, um, truth be told, hopefully none of them listened to, there was a <laughs> impromptu uh, city council meeting called, and I'm an alderman, and I, we had had several meetings, and it was an issue, a specific issue, and I was meeting out, and I thought, I, I was barely going to make it on time if I made it. And to truth be told, I got home and I got paranoid about my car being in the driveway and I grabbed my tree stand. I mean, it was just so funny, the whole situation. So I yeah. grabbed my summit climber and I texted my buddy who mostly shoots a compound, but I just got him shooting that Robertson. I've talked about him before. And uh, I said, man, what should I do? Should I go sit on the ground with my compound or should I take my longbow? And he said, uh, he said, man, take your longbow. And I said, yeah, I said, that's kind of what I want to do. And so it's a piece of public land that uh, about seven miles from my house. And every year in the early season, I see goes and sometimes a pretty decent buck or two will go out into this. This guy literally has a mansion next to the public land. It's a literal mansion with the drive around circle drive. 
and uh, it's it's at the dead end road next to it. And if you're local, you're going to know where I'm talking about. But he, the deer hop over the fence out into his hay field every year. And I thought, I think it was three days ago, I saw uh, some kind of rack deer and a bunch of does go there. So I thought, well, I know which draw they come out of and where they do. So I, I hiked down there and it was 5.45 p.m. Or no, right before six, before I even found a tree where I wanted. So I start climbing and you know, when you got a climber and that tree bark goes flat, mm -hmm. I only got seven feet in the air and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I forgot my bow rope, but it because I was so shallow, I just hung my bow up on a limb above me. <laughs> and so and there the conservation or the the cornland had burned the area off so there's no undergrowth i mean i'm just like you guys know i'm i'm a pretty decent sized guy so i'm like i had to look like something funny up in that tree and so i'm sitting there and then the wind it was supposed to be a southeast dominant and i could slightly get away with it if they went where i wanted them to be that wind started just blowing all over the place and half the time it was at my neck hidden right where i expected them to be so i just I thought, well, this is what I get for being irresponsible anyway, and I'm just going to enjoy the evening. And and uh, sure enough, right at last light, I look up, and there's a deer, and it 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 was a smaller body deer and a larger body deer. So I'm thinking a doe and a fawn, and so I get up slowly, and oh, and my climber at the angle it was, it kept creaking, <laughs> and I'm going. I like this isn't gonna work. This is so the whole story is me thinking to myself, this won't work. This isn't gonna happen. This isn't gonna work. And the deer start getting closer. And when they get out of the the twig or the saplings, I go, Well, that's a little buck. And then I go, Man, that one's got a frame on it. And I go, Well, that looks pretty good. And he kept walking. And this this whole area is wide open. He walked straight to me. With me, this big chubby squirrel, like up in a tree at seven feet high, and I'm going, and the, all the things that go through your mind, I, I read a long time ago that, uh, I don't know if it's Chuck Adams or Fred Eichler, or maybe both, they always say it's not going to happen, it's not going to work, and yeah. I've always thought, I've, I've learned to do that, because I go, if it was going to work, it would have to be this, and, mm -hmm. and by all means, you got to aim and you'd probably miss anyway. All this stuff goes through my head. So this thing keeps walking at me. And finally, at like six yards, it looks not at me, just straight ahead. And I see these twos that ended up being 11 inches long. And, ah! and I'm like, what? And I started to get a slight leg tremor. And I go, now you got, and I literally coached myself. I went, you can't do that because it definitely won't happen if you do that, you know? <laughs> And so the squeaky stand. And, and so he he starts and there were just spare acorns. The acorn crop crop is terrible down here this year and uh in most places. So he just and at one point I honestly thought his G2s were going to hit the bottom of the stand. It felt like that. I thought and and I'm going, this is not I, I just go, what am I supposed to do here? So the whole time I'm drawing the bow, I at some point I had the bow like half drawn. And I'm slowly trying to track with him. And I mean, this had to be down to, this was down to the last few minutes of, of legal shooting. And he finally turned all the way broadside. And, and I'll tell you guys, I believe the Lord blessed me. And so I, it wasn't me. So, but, and so I just knew I've got to go right now. So I, I aimed at the pocket. I picked my spot and, but it had to be 
I think it was around four or five yards. So I've just been calling it four and a half yards. Wow. And I released, and when I released, he, I think he saw that movement in his peripherals and he started to lunge back where he came. And so I heard this, I, I was, I was using lighted knocks. I know some people are opposed to those, but I, I see them as ethical for game retrieval. So I use them yeah. and, and I shot and, and it, it entered, it looked like it was where it should be, but given that he changed the angle, I was afraid. And I heard what sounded like it could either be the sound of lungs, the air being let out or the, or the paunch has been hit. Like when you got a deer and you hear mm -hmm. that gas escape. And so that's what led to the whole crazy thing. But when he ran, he just took off full tilt and he took that arrow that lighted knock through the woods right over the crest of the hill, 120 yards away. Just you could make him out, you know, because that lighted knock. But I'm telling you guys, when it was all said and done, then all of a sudden I got the shakes. I'm like, what just happened? I'm like, yeah. it's, the it's the third day of season. And this is the worst scenario in the history of mankind. And I'll tell, I'll tell the viewers, my buddy, I was wearing this Bowtech compound company hat because it's the first thing I saw when I was grabbing in uh, camo. And my buddy and I were joking. We were just texting that I was uh, purposely wearing a Bowtech hat so that the deer would be confused by what I was in the tree with my longbow and that they might <laughs> think that I'm more selective or something. You know, that was our whole joke. And so here I am, I'm texting my buddy and I'm going, uh, it worked. <laughs> so but uh i'm sorry that story took longer than it should have but oh no, no that's awesome but anyway so the retrieval yeah. so like i said that the gut punch was that i had it, it had actually so it had still caught probably the end of of the lip back end of a lung down through the liver and it, it glanced off a rib with that inertia of him moving so it glanced the side of a rib and came straight down through the punch so that's that noise i heard and so uh. So, because when we did find blood, we found pink. We did find some pinkish-looking frothy big blood dumps, and and enough. You know, when you make a solid gut hit, good luck finding anything. You know, and so we knew something. But he had died. I mean, he had piled up. He was dead, dead, dead. And we'd have been searching. You know, a couple hours later, all through that area, he was laying there stone dead. And I, so it just, you know, that like I said, that part's always going to be bittersweet. But the experience in and of itself was just like a true gift. You know, it was just yeah. You you got closure. You got your animal. Now, did you end up putting a tag on this deer? I or? I, I did, and there's there's a couple reasons. There's both personal and professional. Uh, for one, I'm a taxidermist, and I know for a fact that our conservation agents they've told me they're just very wary anymore. People use that salvage tag thing a lot anymore. Yeah, especially yeah. when they shoot a deer that isn't as big as they thought. And, you know, I've heard stories. They'll leave deer out on purpose, let them half oh. rot. Then they'll cut the head off. Then they'll last. And the agents oh. have just become very wary. And being a taxidermist, I have a good relationship with all my local agents. Wow. And I just don't even want to be the guy that, that does that. But the second thing was, I that I, what more could I ask for in my season? That was my deer. That was that's spectacular. Uh, yeah, you've yeah. got the story, you've got the closure, you've got you've got the proof, and uh it's uh yeah. exceptional. Yeah, so personally I just thought I couldn't be more proud to to call the you know, I it, it really was never a thought that crossed my mind. It was just some friends had suggested, hey, you could keep hunting, and I thought, what more could I want? If I shot, and and I really do mean this, if I'd shot a hundred and forty or fifty inch deer 
in November with my compound at 30 or 40 yards, it would not have meant to me as much as this experience did. And so I just thought, you know, it's, and, and there is a truth we've got, we've got all kinds of seasons. And if you know me, I'm going to end up sticking a lot of does this year. So, um, yeah, the, the meat will be there. I hate that the meat was wasted, but, but uh, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, sorry, I rambled there. You guys got me all excited. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Uh, You know, you don't get to tell stories. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, sharing that story reminds me of a hunt that I made uh, probably 10 years ago on Hollabend Refuge here in Russellville uh, off the edge of Pope County here. Um, you know, I had, I had had a hunt a couple days prior to this one that I heard two bucks fighting out in the field. And it was, it was like a savanna, but it was just had enough brush. I couldn't see the deer, but it was a violent fight. So the very next time I got a chance to get in the woods, I went on the other side of the street and it, there's a reason why I, I had helped uh, a friend, local friend here set his deer stand in this Oak flat right on the other side of the street from this uh, deer fight. And, uh, and I had challenged him had, had, was he going to hunt it? And he said, he didn't think he was going to hunt it. And I said, well, if you're not going to hunt it, I'm going to go over there and climb up in your stand. He said, go right ahead. So I went over there with a set of rattling horns that was actually a mule deer set of horns that uh, a friend of mine had cut all the points off and he blunted everything so that you wouldn't hurt yourself. He drilled and tapped them and put a rope through it. And I, and I have, I have that set here in the shop and, and I took that out there with me and, uh, and I gave a couple sessions call sessions grunting and and using my horns well you know it's that last 45 minutes before dark it's the witching hour and i hear it make its way through the brush and that buck was i am confident you know the one that gets away is always the biggest yeah and this this dude was symmetrical his G1s all the way through to the end of the main beams were all uniform and way up off his head, way wide. It was a tremendous buck. I'm I'm going to say a buck in the 170s. And if you even get a buck that's in the Pope and Young in, in, in Russellville, Arkansas, yeah. you are or in Pope County, you have done something. If you can, if you can get a 125 net score on anything, you've really got a treasure around here. And um, so he comes up to the oak flat and he inspects it from the edge. He looks from one end of that oak flat to the other. He did not. I didn't have a decoy out. Uh, it was a uh, oak flat that's really pretty. The trees were all spaced out evenly throughout kind of open but kind of brushy he inspected that whole oak flat which is about an acre he looked that thing over he didn't get any satisfaction and he turned and he started to leave and there was one spot where he had nothing between me and him but weeds that Mm. were just just above his belly and he was when i hit him with the rangefinder, he was exactly 40 yards 
And I sailed that arrow perfectly, hitting right where I wanted to. And I heard that pop you're talking about where I let the air out of his lungs. Yeah. It just sounded like you took your hands and cupped them and put them together real fast like you're clapping. It just yeah. popped. And I knew that sound because I had had that sound before. I was like, okay, I just double lunged the steer. Yeah. I double lung, but I double lunged him. And uh, he went towards the road and disappeared. This, this all went down. By the time I felt comfortable coming down out of the stand, it's, you know, sun is setting. And yeah. I go over and I... I pick up my arrow, the blood on the arrow. There was no blood trail right there to jump onto. I just looked right there in that immediate spot, and I went to the truck, and I went home, and I brought that friend that I used his his stand. We go back to look for him. And uh, the... Uh, there was, we gave up the search because we had to go go home and go to church. And there was a man in this. Sorry, but he was in a bed. He was in the car, slumped over in a seat on his cell phone, like he was trying to hide that he was even in the car when she left. And uh, when I left, the car was just sitting there empty. I didn't see anybody, and. Uh, so church, we end a church meeting and I go back out there by myself. And what that deer did is he, he, he went straight towards the road for just a, a little bit. Then he hooked the left. He went straight over and got on that hunter's trail that he was using to get to his stand that I didn't even know was there. Walked, I started bleeding right there. Now yeah. he is pouring blood out of both sides. Like you took a bucket in each hand and just start spilling it. So the offset from where he started spilling blood, I could go through the trees right there and see the top of my tree that I was in. Yeah. So he's still not that far, but he was, instead of right where he exited, he was moved over 80 yards and going away from me still. And, uh, he bled like that until there was this big, beautiful gut pile. Oh, man. And so immediately I went straight to the check station. Nobody checked a deer that day. And uh, yet he had left that the gut pile was less than two hours old. Yeah. It was still fresh. That memory is still fresh in my mind. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. But I didn't get any closure. You know, but I did get closure. I know I killed him. I know that where he where he finally laid down and expired, you could still find the top of my tree. It was just awesome. moved over further, and there was just a, it was just thick enough in there that three people could make circles. And if you didn't get on that exact trail for that twenty five yard stint that he bled, you're gonna walk right past it. You know. Man. But uh, kudos to you, man. Uh, I'm really uh, proud that you got that deer and you got that that story. And and uh, uh, you say that's your best deer of your career, huh? Well, that's my best with any kind of bow, any archery equipment. Oh, 
That's um, awesome. Well, because I'm not very good at being selective. It's just been the last few years. Um, being a taxidermist, getting around all the antlers all the time, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've gotten a little more accustomed to antlers. So, but with the longbow, yeah. so this was that longbow I was shooting when we were at the rendezvous this year that I built myself. Um, oh, nice. So that how that good was, does that feel? Yeah, it just felt really cool. I'd always wanted to kill one with a bow I built myself, and um, you guys will laugh, but now my goal is uh, I've got a lot of season left, and uh, I'm sure I'll take uh, all kinds of different bows out, but I really want to kill a doe with a stone pointed arrow. So, um, yeah, you know that's, that's not funny. I I think that's a tremendous goal. Yeah, and yeah. I have a few self bows. I've always wanted to build my own self bow. I've never done it. Um, but I have a few self bows that I'm going to play around with that friends have built. And so I think I'm going to try to go the primitive route for the rest of the season. And like I said, I'll probably zigzag and use some other weapons too. But I just, um, if I, if I was able to do that, that would really feel like something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been out since we got back from Colorado, I've been out one time and uh it rained and stormed on me the whole time but i sat out there anyway because oh, i was man. enjoying it it left soaked didn't see anything but um uh season's early so yes it's very early yeah yeah so what was tuesday tuesday was the 19th is that tuesday right? was the 19th yeah yeah so i've never been tagged out on my yeah, here's nice. Yeah, like I said, eleven inch G twos, which I honestly believe he was a two year old deer, um, but I did not oh. care. <laughs> yeah, so, looks like we lost John Ethan. We did, and I hate that because I was getting ready to ask him the caribou story. So it's all your fault because you asked me, and you know I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, John has a lot of stories. I bet we can get him back on here again I've, sometime. And I bet we the caribou could. story. I think is good. Uh, you know, we we he told me the story when I was talking about my first aid um, lecture that I did at the at the banquet a couple of years ago, and so it's a good story. So we'll have to get him to tell that sometime. For sure, yeah, we'll do it. So, yeah. well, you got any hunt hunting plan before you have to take off for business, or I'm probably going to try to get out. Of a little bit this weekend it's man i've got I'm, I'm this happened to me last year too i um you know i i work for a consulting company i don't know if i've mentioned that before and um i've been on the bench for most of the summer off and on and i was last year too and as soon as i got back from colorado last year i got back on a wednesday and they're like by the way you're going to minneapolis on monday Mm. And um, I was busy the whole rest of the year. And this is going to be much the same. I, this year, at least I had a heads up. But um, I got back last week. And on Monday, I started full time on a project. And so I've been trying to get very up to up to speed on that. And then probably within the next week or two, I'm got, I probably have five or maybe even 10 weeks worth of travel. Um, so I'm going to try to get out some this weekend uh probably i've got some some friends coming over saturday evening but uh try to get out saturday morning uh, a little bit and in sunday evening after church um and then i don't know after that 
it's just going to be kind of hit and miss with my travel schedule and, and so forth. The, the good thing is when I travel for work, most of the time I'm usually flying out on a Monday and flying home on a Thursday um, is what I try to do. We'll see how it plays out with this client, but um, so that should still give me the weekends. I'll just lose some, some evenings. I try to usually get a lot of evening hunt, hunts in during the week, um, during early season, because I yeah. get off work in time to get out, you know. I have a feeling I'm going to miss all of those. And then by the time my travel is done, it's going to be uh, too late in the year to do those weekday evening hunts. But um, but as mentioned earlier, I'll get an Arkansas tag. I'll, I'll go down to Arkansas and hunt. That'll extend my hunting season a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. Well, then we'll wrap up this season and then uh, and then it'll be on to the bear hunt. It's going to come up quick. On to the bear hunt. Yep. The big set. Well, I think I think John's coming back. We got you back. Yeah, yep. we got you back. Okay, boy, I don't know what happened there. Oh, it happens. Well, well, that was a a great story. Oh yeah, thanks. I I liked your story too. I hate that um, that that happened to you. Um, yeah, if you're gonna hunt long enough, you're gonna experience the gamut you're gonna you're gonna experience just about anything there is if you can imagine it you're gonna you know through the years it's not like you know i've been hunting since i was a kid you know and that's happened one time in my life i hope it never happens again but it's yeah it's still my story and uh that deer is still part of my memories and all of that is so real and significant and it's no less significant because I didn't get the animal myself. But, yeah. Um, but I just got your photo while the uh, while the recording was blipping out. Um, uh, I got your uh, text with that deer. That's a beautiful animal. I, I sent him the text, Ethan. <laughs> oh, okay. I texted him so, too. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate <laughs> the photo. Uh, what, what you missed, John, was uh, after you, right as you dropped off, Ethan picked it up, picked up the antlers. So yeah, yeah, I'll show you. It's it's you know he's not, but those G twos are just you know, like I said, I I told Ryan I think he's like a two year old deer based on body and skull size and all that. But um, I had a guy. There's actually a local guy that owns land in the area, and he's a good guy, but he was kind of hinting at me that he was frustrated. I shot a two-year-old and I, oh. and I said, well, he's as, he's as big as he is ever going to get. I'm sure at two years old to be framed like that, he would have been an absolute monster, but for a, a two-year-old, the rough score around 123 inches is pretty nice. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, especially six feet in the air, uh, you know, yeah. with him tickling the bottom of your stand, it's like, wow. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, you know, uh, each year, you know, you'll, you'll do everything from, uh, meet people in the woods, you know, um, last year I passed on a deer that I shouldn't have passed on. Uh, he had been fighting and was limping. He was on Holobend refuge again. And, and, uh, you know, if it was the last day of the season, 
would I have killed that deer? Yes, I would have. Oh, but yeah. I passed on him at 20 yards. And I think about that deer, you know, all these experiences, um, good or bad, they're, they're just kind of part of part of our stories, you know? For sure. Yeah, I guess you could probably say for this podcast, our theme has been, um, you know, what to, what to do when the unexpected takes place, you know? And yeah. So... But well, hey, uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, how much more time do we have? Um, uh, let me what look. Was, what was you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna. Well, me and Ryan, when we lost you for a minute, we got to thinking. We think you've got enough stories. We probably ought to have a second podcast with you. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Would you feel okay with that? Or um, yeah, absolutely. So, cause we try to keep them, we're trying to keep them around an hour. We're about an hour 15 in up probably already. So we'll, okay. we'll, uh, but now I've got your, so I thought I lost your phone number and then I realized you left me a voicemail a long time ago. And okay. so I was able to use that. And then Ryan sent me the phone number and all that came together. So I, uh, um, anyway, I, I have your phone number now so we can get back in contact about this. So, okay. Awesome. Sounds well, you got good. any you got any weekend hunting plans? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm kind of torn. I've got a couple places that, you know, I feel like uh, uh, I got some places that need a little attention. And so I don't know whether to make it, you know, a working hunt or whether to make it a, you know, a, a real hunt. I'm, I'm still debating. I gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Well, keep me. I expect to, I expect some photos as your season progresses. And <laughs> like I said, we'll get in contact. Me, uh, we've been talking. We, we'd like to hear your uh, caribou story. And I know you've got way more experiences than that too. But yeah, lots to share. We got to sponge you for all it's worth to get some episodes for this podcast. You know. Oh, yeah. you know, I, it's it's a it's a real treat to have somebody that wants to hear a story. You know, so I'm uh I'm always willing to share my my episodes of of hunting. It's it's a joy. Yep, it yeah. is for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, you gentlemen have a great evening and I will talk to you both very soon. Yeah. Thanks, right. John. Thanks for your time and we'll look forward to doing this again and and uh give uh give the listeners a little some more some more stories. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ethan. Yep. Yep. All right. Talk to Bye, you guys, guys later. All right. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.